Welcome to the podcast of San Diego First Church of the Nazarene. As a church, we are located in the Point Loma area of San Diego at 3901 Loma Land Drive. We would love to have you join us on Sunday mornings. We have Sunday school at 9, at 1030 are our services. Um, we also have midweek programming. Uh, would love for you to come and join us at any time in person. But if you prefer to join us online, we are so glad that you do so and welcome the opportunity to dig into God's Word together. My name is Dee Kelly, and I have the privilege of uh, leading us in this morning's Bible study as we look at Jeremiah 33, verses 14 through 16. I will make mention of some special services coming up of which you might be interested. Next week, we have our Joyful Sounds of Christmas, a wonderful choir and orchestration presentation of the wonderful good news of the Christmas season. It will take place both at the 9 o'clock hour and at 10.30 in our Family Life Center this coming Sunday, um, a week from today. And so I encourage you to be part of that. The following week, our children put on their annual Christmas musical. It's one of the favorite of our community, and it will take place outdoors in the Greek, Greek Amphitheater. So it's a wonderful place to come and join us. Uh, with a wonderful view overlooking the Pacific Ocean and a presentation by our kids that I know will warm your heart. So I invite you to those things. But now I would love for us to dig into this passage, and I'd like to start by acknowledging something that happened to me. It's probably in a different fashion happened to you as well. Um, a couple of years ago, I used my search engine to look up metal staircases that were portable and could be used in our family life center to help people make their way up onto the platform. And in doing so, I priced them out just to see what they would cost to replace the wooden ones that we currently have. I didn't end up purchasing anything, but for the next six months easily, maybe longer, I had appearing on various sites that I would visit in the course of my week, advertisements that would pop up from various companies pitching me on the value of purchasing metal staircases from them. At first I was startled and then I remembered and realized that for those who are advertisers, I am a transaction, I am a data point, and when I looked up information, my process of looking that up was tracked and people sell my name to advertisers in the hopes that they might push me and entice me to spend my money on a metal staircase of all things. It's a transaction. A transaction where I become the product and information about me is then sold to those who are trying to move their products in the hopes that they might separate me from my financial resources and sell their product. It's very transactional in nature and it's very logical. This is how we live. We do it all the time. We make daily decisions based on how we think outcomes will turn out. In some ways, it's a different way of explaining the um, scientific method, the way by which we propose a hypothesis, we test the hypothesis, and then we determine if it is a valid hypothesis, 
Having gained that information and experience, then we move on and try and use that new information in new ways. I make that decision all the time, those decisions all the time. Um, I remember just a short time ago, I was on one of my hiking adventures with a good friend of mine, and we had climbed up to a spot, and I'm not exactly sure how we got to where we were, but now we were making our way back down of this, just exploring some rock formations. And we came to a spot where we were on top of some rocks, and it was a long distance um, down toward the north to circle around and come back in a lower area. My friend sat down on the edge of the rocks that we were on, and I don't exactly know how far the drop was, but having sat there for a few moments, he just pushed himself off and jumped down to the next level. I was a little startled by that, but because of his um, endeavor, I started making mental calculations. Can I make this? I seem to be in the same general health as he is. I'm actually a few years younger than he is. My joints ought to have a little more resilience than his do. I have some level of coordination. How far do I have a push away from the rock before I will um, land free and clear from what's going uh, underneath me and beside me? I hesitated and hesitated again. And I should have permanently hesitated because I pushed off from the rock, having made the decision that this is my hypothesis, that I will land in a safe way. I had made a lot of appropriate calculations, but I had not anticipated that as I would land where I was jumping at, that my shoes and the tread on them and the rocks beneath and their texture and lack of friction would cause my feet to immediately go out from underneath me, and I would take most of the weight of the fall on my wrists and tailbone. I sprained a wrist and damaged a tailbone, at least the tissue around it, and was in a great deal of pain. And in so doing, I learned for whatever next future experiment I might have, to make my way all the way down and walk around instead of making those kind of leaps off of rocks in ways that uh, might do damage to me and my ability to continue in these kinds of endeavors in the future. This is the process of experimenting, transaction. It is cause um, and reaction, action and reaction. It is the way by which we live and understand the world in which we live. I had the wonderful privilege of exploring at length a theory from the mid-20th century called personal construct theory. And basically this theory says that we make our way through life's journey by constantly making experience, uh, experiments on different parameters or constructs. So when I see someone, I make judgments based on my past experiences on various constructs such as tall or short, um, kind facial expression or not kind facial expression. The list goes on and on and how we judge others and judge circumstances based on these internal hypotheses about the transactions that have happened in our life before and then how we can best 
transact or move through the future. We do it relationally. We do it with significant others, with spouses, with children. We base our actions on what we know of the other person's reactions from the past. And we try and confirm what we believe about an individual. We do this spiritually as well. The journey of faith through scripture is a journey that speaks about transactions between God and God's creation. Our effort to try and understand God's requirements and to meet those requirements and engage ourselves in a transaction that earns or merits God's favor. The reason I say all of this is that Jeremiah, not in these exact terms, but talks about this transactional nature of our journey, this way by which we engage others and engage God. So I would like to read this passage to us out of Jeremiah chapter 33, beginning with verse 14. It's a relatively short passage. It goes through um, verse 16. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the gracious promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I find it sometimes very difficult to jump into Jeremiah for a variety of reasons. One, if you don't know the background of Jeremiah, it's difficult to give a context to what's said. But also there are portions of Jeremiah that are not in chronological order. And so you might understand the context of one passage and feel like it relates to the next passage, but it's not necessarily in a succinct order for us. One of the key pieces of understanding Jeremiah is understanding when Jeremiah was written. The northern kingdom had been taken away by the Assyrians, and they had gone into exile. The southern kingdom, called Judah, had been overtaken by the Babylonians, and many of the people had been taken into exile. And before long, those people would be allowed to come back under King Cyrus uh, to repopulate the area. Jeremiah was a prophet during this span of exile and um, oppression by the Babylonian Empire. And we find at the beginning of this chapter that Jeremiah himself is captive in the courtyard of the guards. It says that in chapter 33, verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to him. And he spoke prophetically. Now Jeremiah's prophetic voice tended to be one of doom and gloom. The people had been disobedient and there was a price to pay for that. Jeremiah's prophetic word kind of falls in the nature of here's the action, here's the reaction. Here's what you do, here's how God responds. So the people have been rebellious, the people have not followed Yahweh, 
they have not worshipped as they were called to worship. And the consequences of that, well, they are being destroyed. There are others who are coming and taking over their land. And Jeremiah says this over and over and over again. He is the weeping prophet because this causes his heart to break over what the people are not doing in response to God's promises. It feels like in many ways this is the transaction. Disobedience brings about destruction. Uh, Refusing to obey God or to worship God results in others making their way in to take over their city and destroy their way of life. Jeremiah says it again and again. But Jeremiah also in this passage, it's a section where we find Jeremiah's tone somewhat different. I mean, it is a similar message, but it is somewhat different in that it offers hope. And on this first Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of hope, we read what Jeremiah offers in terms of God's promises. And the promise is, as you just heard, that in those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. There is a promise that A righteous branch is coming from David's line, the king that um, brought about so much good for the people. This coming king will do both righteousness and justice. These two lines are paired over and over again in Scripture, righteousness and justice. Righteousness, being in right relationship with God and being in right relationship with others. Justice, not in the sense of a punitive response, but instead an action of reconciliation, of being restored. Once again, restoration with God and restoration with others. Justice is not um, bringing somebody to account. That's already taking place. Jeremiah has already talked about that. But justice in the sense of bringing about a rebirth of relationship, a rebirth of interaction one with another and one with God. It is from Jeremiah's perspective that which arises out of the destruction of our actions. New life at the end of something. So much of what Jeremiah talks about is the end of things. It's not the end of all time. It is just the end of what has been. But the promise is that there will be restoration. There will be a return to normalcy. Not necessarily return to everything the way it was, but we will be able to return to the things that bring about stability for us. And how might that happen? Well, one is coming who will bring about justice and righteousness, restoration and wholeness. Judah will be saved. Jerusalem will live in safety. This is what God is doing. 
However, what's fascinating here is the last phrase of this passage. It says, this is the name by which it or he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. The translation of it or he, it's difficult to know in the original language what was intended. Is this a description of Jerusalem itself, the community? Is it a description of the king who will come? The Lord, our righteousness? It feels like it could be either or both. Because the Lord, our righteousness, is a description of something that is not transactional. If we, in our disobedience, have one come to us who becomes our righteousness, then there is no transaction. It's not as if God has done this on our behalf because God needs something, that God is doing something transactionally. In fact, it's in the midst of the disobedience that Jeremiah is saying God is at work. In the midst of that which has consequences, God's bringing forth life, newness. There is hope, not because of what we can do, but because God becomes righteousness on our behalf. There is something so poignant about a God whose love is not transactional, but is grace. It's not to say that the world is not transactional. It is not a downplaying of our use of the scientific method or experimentation or trying to navigate logically the world in which we live. It is just God saying there is something in addition to that. There is something more something that transcends your transactions. And it's grace. For God becomes our righteousness, takes on our sinfulness, that we might once again have life. It flies in the face of all of the things that we do that leave us in a place where we uh, respond in kind. Somebody treats us nicely, we respond nicely. Somebody treats us meanly, we respond meanly. Somebody manipulates us, we manipulate them back. Our resistance, our push, our anger, our frustration, even our kindnesses seem to have an ulterior motive underneath. And God comes and says, with no ulterior motive, I love and I care and I want to give you a new beginning. In the midst of this, I feel like Jeremiah is calling the people to attach themselves not to the promise, but to the giver of promises. For the truth is that things don't unfold exactly as Jeremiah hoped or the people hoped. It was a long time before the one who was to come actually came. There are numerous people who um, 
never saw the fulfillment of the return to the promised land. And there are none who were alive at this time who saw the fulfillment of the ultimate fulfillment of this promise, the ultimate fulfillment of one who came, who became our righteousness. And so if we find ourselves attached to the promise, then we have missed the beauty and power of living connected to the giver, the creator, the one who has revealed grace itself by the incarnation, the good news, has come to live as we have lived. And then, after the resurrection, has sent the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit might open up for us an understanding of how we might live into grace, how we might live beyond transactions, how we might live not based on what we might get out of the interaction, but that our love might take us to a place where we have connected to the source of grace. It is certainly a different way of living. It is moving into right relationship, not just with God, but with others. Not looking as to how we might benefit or what we might get out of something, but that our responses would be motivated by love and grace. It is our hope, not just as individuals, but I think it might be our only hope as a community. That a community might exist where love dominates, doesn't ignore transactions, it doesn't ignore the need to understand transactions, but if love becomes the dominant characteristic, then transactions no longer hold rule, no longer control, but instead they are placed in their proper perspective. So the invitation this morning is to connect to the giver of the promise. to hold relationship in reconciled fashion. There is a wonderful song years ago that Andre Crouch sang, If heaven never were promised to me, neither God's promise to live eternally. It's been worth just having the Lord in my life. Living in a world of darkness, he came and brought me new life. It is a song that I argued with for years argued because of what Paul said in the New Testament, where he said, if all of this isn't true, the resurrection, eternal life, then we are the greatest of fools. If this promise of the future is not true. I feel like Andre Crouch connected to something that was not head knowledge, but knew something in his heart. And I have come to believe after digging deeper into Jeremiah that logically I have attached myself to the promise, the hope of the promise. And that's understandable because it draws me into my future. 
But in so doing, I have minimized the relationship with the promise giver. And it's in that place that I find love. Because the promise keeps me trapped in a faith that's built upon transactions. And faith that leads me into a hopeful future is not built upon transactions. It's built on God and God's grace and love. And it's there that I find the strength to live in community with one another, not in a journey built on transactions, but a journey built on love. So this start of the Advent season, may we find ourselves moved past the latest advertisement of what we have um, expressed an interest in, past the um, evaluation process of how somebody might respond to this approach, being caught by manipulative behaviors, but instead embraced by a God not of manipulation, but a God of grace who invites us to live into the hopefulness of grace. It's into that place that our Advent season begins. The hope of a community of love. Oh God, forgive us for the many times when our interactions with others have been based solely on transactions, giving in order to get, agreeing in order to receive, driven by what we can get out of circumstances, of relationships, of the dynamics of the world in which we live. Lord, may we be turned upside down by your grace that invites us not to attach ourselves to a promise, but to attach ourselves to your love. Unmerited, unearned, undeserved, and requiring nothing in return, just out of the ashes of struggle, you offer hope. Hope that we might tap in to you, our creator, knowing how we were created and how the world in which we live was created. So Lord, forgive us. Keep reaching after us. Help us to form a community that cares for one another out of love. And in that, Lord, may we become vessels of reconciliation, of restoration, of righteousness, right relationships. And when that comes about, may all the praise go to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now may you go in God's grace. May God's face shine through your face. And as we embark on this Advent season, 
in the midst of whatever circumstances you might be facing, difficult troubles you might have, may you hear the words of Jeremiah that God is our righteousness and in that there is hope. So go in God's peace. God bless you.